And I'm Andy. Welcome to McCourtcast, McCourt's People Podcast. This week, we caught up with Leila Ogabian, recent MPP grad, class of 2021, and former president of the McCourt Student Association. Hi, Leila. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are y'all doing? Doing pretty good. We're excited to have you on the show. You're our first, like, I guess you're our first student, although in a few weeks that won't be the case. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm, I'm really happy to see you guys have students on here. Definitely our first student to appear, uh, well, in general, but also during a finals week. So thank <laughs> you for honor. taking the time. Uh, <laughs> You're <definitely>. welcome. <laughs> well, we'll go ahead and jump right into it. So one of the things we wanted to chat with you about is your love of snowboarding. So can you tell us a bit about how you got your start with snowboarding? Yeah, um, it actually started in middle school. I think it was, I was in the seventh grade and um, there was a school snowboarding trip um, in California. So I'm from Northern California and they were going up to Tahoe to a resort called Boreal. And so I went on this school trip and learned how to snowboard for the first time there. Um, And then ever since then, um, I kept up with it and it kind of turned into this family like um activity that I would do with my dad and my brothers and my stepmom um and then with a lot of my friends as well and so that's how I got my start so I've been doing that now for 15 17 years I've been snowboarding for a really long time (laughs) yeah (laughs) do you have a favorite place you like to snowboard um I've I've really only snowboarded in northern California around Lake Tahoe But I would say my favorite resort is Heavenly, which is right on the state line between Nevada and California. And when you get at the very top of the hill, you can see the stark difference between Nevada and California. You see like the nice blue Lake Tahoe, California side, and then you turn to the right and you just see desert land in Nevada. (laughs) It's really interesting. But you're so high up, you feel like you're kind of like boarding on a cloud which is really cool i love it it's beautiful it's powdery and you know you just get to explore that is so cool so i always wonder because i'm just to put it out there i cannot snowboard i cannot ski i've only ever (laughs) even like like basically my closest experience to actually doing one of those things was i think i in like middle school went somewhere on a school trip and like tried the bunny hill on my like skis and it was a massive fail but (laughs) just wondering have you ever thought about skiing or have you been like snowboarding through and through um, for those like 17 years through and through snowboarding I've asked people like is it easier to ski or snowboard? And everyone just has their own answer based off of their own experience. And so I'm just going to stick with snowboarding. I'm good. Because when I first started, it was brutal. (laughs) I was sore for the first, like, three years every time I would go (laughs) snowboarding um, because I would fall so much. Um, But now now that I'm used to it, um, don't fall as much. Maybe once um, in a season if I get to go. Um, Wow. Yeah, I, I don't. Just... I don't want to. I want to. I don't want to go through that again because <laughs> it would hurt. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, yeah. <laughs> having grown up in uh, the '90s, when I don't know if you've ever seen Johnny Tsunami, 
that old <laughs> Disney movie. But like, I always just thought like snowboarding is so cool. Like I would love to be good at it, but like growing up in Ohio and a part of Ohio that was very flat and our, uh, my wife is always reminding me like we don't actually have real mountains so it's hard to find actual like skiing to do there so I just never never quite got the practice I would have needed <laughs> I was lucky I got to try snowboarding once when I was in Spain um and I I liked wow. it a lot it was um listen like don't be impressed at all I fell I almost had a guy poke me in the head with a ski pole it was it was a time, <laughs> but I did like it. It kind of reminded me of wakeboarding a little bit. It's harder. It's much harder, but it has that sort oh, of like feeling of like freedom. I don't know. That sounds weird, but it, you it's... feel like you're just floating. Yeah, yeah. it does. I love um, it. <laughs> so uh, we also know that you love to travel and yeah. a sort of a combination question. If you could go snowboard anywhere in the world, where do you think you would like to go? Oh, there's two places really. I, I, I would say I've always wanted to snowboard um, in um, the Damovan Mountain, which is the mountain in Tehran, <clears throat> Iran. And I've I've seen people ski and snowboard there when I was a little kid, but this was before I even started snowboarding and skiing. Um, but I know it's there, and so I would really love to do that. Um, but I would also really love to go to the Swiss Alps. Like that's, I mean, come on, you gotta do that. That's like the best place in the world to go for snowboarding or skiing. Um, so I would love, that's definitely on the bucket list. So taking kind of the snowboarding aside too, are there any, uh, travel destinations that are kind of top of mind for you right now? Obviously, uh, with the way, um, we are all kind of immersed in this pandemic right now and all of the restrictions, um, on travel and and really every aspect of life, is there somewhere you really really want to go uh, once you're able to travel again? Not necessarily snowboarding related. Yeah, funny you ask because I right before I hopped on this podcast, I went to go check my mailbox to see if my passports arrived. Ooh. <laughs> As I'm trying to go, I let them expire. Uh, I have a dual nationals, so I have two passports, um, U.S. and Iran. And so as soon as I get them, I would like to go see my family in Iran. Um, I haven't seen them since 2013. So that's the hope. Um, I'm vaccinated now, so that also relieves some of the the stress um, of traveling. Um, but so long as it's, you know, safe and the country's not on lockdown, I'd like to go see my family in Iran um, shortly after graduation. Well, congratulations. Um, yeah. Also, I'd really like to go to Hawaii. I have a friend that lives in Hawaii, um, but I don't need a passport for that. That's a little bit more easy. Well, you've touched on it a little bit, but you are very proud to be Persian. And this also shows through in some of your academic projects. As I understand mm -hmm. it, I'm not an academic. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about your policy interests and how those relate back to Iran? Yeah, absolutely. I actually um, focused my thesis on... Um, Iran and kind of U.S.-Iran relations, but more on the humanitarian trade aspect um, and U.S. sanctions. So I took the year to um, study uh, U.S. sanctions on Iran and the effect it has on humanitarian trade. There's been a lot of reports out there saying that sanctions impede Iran's ability to get like <clears throat> life-saving medicine or to be able to respond to the pandemic actually there's a lot of reports about that so I wanted to 
see if I could prove that quantitatively because there aren't many out there quantitative studies out there that are like quantitatively proving this and you know even the trump administration went so far as to dispel the myth about you know the humanitarian impact of sanctions so i was like all right let's see if i can see this one way or the other and i was actually able to prove that um u.s sanctions when imposed by a republican administration actually impede humanitarian trade um, pharmaceutical products, so all the medicine. And then when a Democrat's in office it, um, in the White House, it's the opposite. But that's problematic either way because um, sanctions are, humanitarian trade supposed to be exempt from sanctions. And so it should just be constant. Um, so it's problematic. And it was really cool to see that I was able to prove this um, with math and statistics and economics. Um, everything I learned basically these past two years with my MPP. Um, so I was really able to kind of take my passion for Iran and apply it to my work here at McCourt, which was really cool. Um, but I also took Farsi throughout the whole year. Mm. I was able to get the language scholarship here at McCourt um, to be able to take a year of advanced Persian, um, which was really helpful. So I can definitely speak, read, and write Farsi a lot better um, than a year ago. Um, and I was also able to take an elective outside of McCourt on Iran's um, their policies, um, national security policies, which was really fascinating. But I definitely did miss McCourt. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say McCourt's a very special place. Awesome. I And I think you've already, you may have already mentioned this, but did you say the last time you had visited your family um, in Iran was back in 2013? Yeah. So that's awesome. Could you tell us a little about like for our listeners, should anyone have the opportunity to go visit Iran, where would you recommend that they go? Ooh. So I like to compare Iran to California. Um, it has like all of the natural landscapes. Um, so, you know, you have the desert, you have the sea, you have the mountains, you have the valley. And it's really beautiful. Um, places to go, like if you want to go to a big city atmosphere, you go to Tehran or Mashhad. Um, great food, great atmosphere, lots of shopping. Um, and you could just find anything and everything there. Um, and the people are really hospitable. So if you're a traveler, it's obvious. Um, you're not from Iran and people want to get to know you. So they welcome you into their house and they have dinner parties or as we call them, mehmunis. And you'll get all the um, good Persian food. It's exactly like Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you want something a little bit more small vibe, you go more north um, to the Caspian Sea, which is beautiful. Um, and then it's also very mountainous. So you, again, you can go to the mountain I referred to earlier, um, Damovan, Damovan Mountain. That's really nice. Um, but then if you go more south of the country, you can go to the, the Gulf and it's more coastal. Um, and a really fun place is Kish Island, which is like the Hawaii of Iran, which I went to. Um, the one and only time I ever went parasailing was in Quiche, which was so cool. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was super fun. Very humid, though. Um, if you wear sunglasses outside during the day, they get foggy because <laughs> it's so humid. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's it's a gem. I would definitely say Iran is a gem. Um, and many people don't know about it. Um, but if I get to go 
over the summer. Um, the two places I really want to go to next are Shiraz, which is where Persepolis is. Okay. And then I also want to go to Esfahan, which is kind of like the known for its art and culture, I would say most. Um, and its architecture too. So I really want to go to those two cities. So cool. Thanks for giving all those awesome tips to to our listeners. Yeah. If you ever get the opportunity. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, what would you say some of your favorite aspects of Persian culture specifically are? <clears throat> well, definitely like the family aspect. I have a huge family there. Um, all very close and, you know, very goofy, like to joke around, laugh and smile a lot. And so that's what really drew me, um, you know, as a little kid since I was two. I've been traveling there to go see my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's big, big, big family atmosphere. Um, the food is amazing. <laughs> Definitely. Lots of like stews and rices. Our rices are very complex. Um, not like how you make them here. Um, takes about two hours or so. You gotta, you gotta soak the rice, you gotta boil the rice, then you gotta steam the rice. And if you're putting stuff in the rice, you gotta layer the rice too. So it takes a while, but it's delicious. Um, and then you get tattig at the end, which is like this, um, you know, the burnt rice at the, you know, on the pot, Mm -hmm. but you know, we, we don't burn it so much. We kind of, um, make it golden mm-hmm. and it's delicious and it's oh it's just it's gold uh, we like to refer to it as Persian crack <laughs> <laughs> oh sounds really good mm-hmm. um yeah I would say you know definitely the food and the family aspect are what really drew me in I mean of course because I traveled so much as a kid um I, that's why I'm so connected with my my Persian Persian side so that actually ties in really well with our next topic, which is all about cooking. Um, So we know (laughs) cooking has been a source of enjoyment for many during the pandemic. Are there any dishes you have tried to make in the last year that you have particularly liked? Or have you been understandably totally swamped with everything else going on and maybe not ventured into the the culinary arts as much? Well, I've I've stuck to just a few few recipes i've noticed that i haven't um uh, cooked as many dishes that i used to when i uh, before i started grad school (laughs) but now that you know i'm almost done i'm starting to remember all the things i used to cook but there are a few dishes i've actually really stuck to um this past year like comfort food wise um i like a lot of stews things that don't take a lot of effort that just kind of sit there and over time you know you got a big batch of something um, and one of those things is actually corned beef cabbage. <laughs> mm. um, you know, getting to my Irish roots. So I'm Persian Irish. My mom is Irish. Dad's Persian. And so I've been making a lot of corned beef cabbage this year. <laughs> Very nice. I'm all about <laughs> Just, it. <laughs> yeah. Delicious. And I make this um, compound butter with parsley and garlic. And mm-hmm. I like blend it all together. And you put it on top of the corned beef cabbage. And it's delicious. <laughs> That sounds yeah. amazing, of course. <laughs> yeah, I wish we could do this live and, like, order some order some Iranian food and, like, just <laughs> be, like, chatting and order some corned beef and cabbage and just do some taste testing, like, while, while we do the show. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Actually, just um, a few weeks ago, I had a, a – I've actually had a few dinner parties with friends. I've been doing that a lot lately. Just, mm-hmm. you know, I need – you know, I need the – the social atmosphere, mm-hmm. I miss it a lot. So I've invited my friends over and um, 
we actually had a godfather themed dinner party (laughs) everyone dressed up and i made italian food and so my cousin's italian and her grandma made a cookbook and so that's what i learned to make italian food from and so i made a classic meat sauce with pasta, garlic bread, and a classic, like, Italian balsamic vinaigrette salad. And everyone was dressed up, and we were all pretty, took a family photo like they did in The Godfather at the wedding, <laughs> and we all ate delicious <laughs> pasta. It was, it was great. It was a good night. I love the idea of themed dinner parties. Godfather yeah. is a good one. Have you, are there any others that you've done? Is that your favorite? Yeah. I I did a Persian New Year one Ooh, okay. um, where I made herbed rice and salmon. Mm-hmm. Um, I also did another um, Persian dinner where I made a um, beef stew with um, yellow split peas. So it's like a mm-hmm. tomato-based stew with beef and um, split peas. And you put um, like French fries on top of it and you serve it with rice and the tadig that I had mentioned earlier as well. And that turned out great. <laughs> it was beautiful. Have you – so – we're all fortunate to live in a, a very diverse city that has all kinds of cuisines from all over the world. Have you found, Layla, anywhere around town um, that does really good Iranian food? You know, in D.C., I have not. But if you go out um, in Virginia to um, Tyson's Corner or McLean, you get a lot of good Persian food and Persian bakeries, mm. uh, restaurants, um, even markets. So, like, whenever I need, like, my Persian spices, um, when I was um, getting ready for Persian New Year's and I need all the things for, like, my, um, we call it a half scene. It's a spread of, like, seven S's. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to go to, like, Tyson's Corner um, in McLean to go get all of those items. And, of course, they have all the good restaurants and you know, um, kebab sandwiches and whatnot that are delicious. So if you want, if you want good Persian food, you have to go out to Virginia. (laughs) That's really good to know. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes people are a little harsh about like being outside of actual DC. Um, but like there are these like awesome (laughs) things about all the areas around that surround the city as well. So that's really fantastic. And I'm actually out that way sometimes. So I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Well, I consider personally cooking to be quite an art, and we know that you love all kinds of arts, including theater. <laughs> and oh, you share yeah. this actually with one of our previous guests and form and alum, Douglas Hummel Price. What do you love about the theater, and do you act yourself? <laughs> so my love for theater started out in high school because I took a theater class. Mm-hmm. Um, And then from that, I joined advanced theater in high school for two years where it was something you had to audition for and get into the class and you were constantly in plays. Um, And that's what started my love for theater. And then after high school, I continued in community college and I had actually joined a local community theater group. Mm -hmm. Um, It was like a paid actor. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) Um, and, you know, in college, I, um, in community college, I did a few musicals called Pantos. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the funniest roles I ever had is I was the Panto horse. It was a two-person horse. <laughs> <laughs> I had no lines, but I had to learn to act like a horse. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> and then the next year, I got a singing role. <laughs> 
Did you have to wear a horse costume? Yeah, yeah. Oh. There was like a head and a butt. And, like, <laughs> the- <laughs> okay, so now I'm just you- wondering, like, did whoever was the head or the butt at any particular occasion, we you switched. had to know like that part of the horse. You had to like really understand. <laughs> yeah, no, we didn't want. So it was a two person horse. So there was the head, and then there was the butt, and so the person who did the butt kind of had to like bend over and like put their oh hands gosh. around the person's ra- waist and their head against their back. <laughs> And then so we would switch off uh, so that one person wasn't stuck being one or the other. <laughs> okay, this is... It was hilarious. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and make a recommendation now. We're going to request after this uh, show that you share a few pictures with us to post on social media. Oh, uh, yeah. If you can find <laughs> the horse that was... I'll try. <laughs> that'd probably be our most popular post ever. Yeah. I also have actually another funny, uh, I did a farce as well um, at a college, Sac State College. Um, it's a CSU in, in California. And um, it was a farce where it was kind of like a Lucy and Ethel duo. And there's this one hilarious picture of me. <clears throat> I'll send that to you. But the backstory behind it is our husbands think I'm pregnant. But I'm not actually pregnant. I just have a whole bunch of groceries under my coat that makes my belly look like I'm pregnant. And I had just looted a Safeway because the factory had fired all the women. And they were mad. And so they looted the Safeway so that they could have the groceries instead of, you know, because I had no more money. And so instead of telling our husbands, the Lucy of the um, of the duo said, oh, she's pregnant. And then all of a sudden, the jar of like pickles... I had it in my bag burst and so it looks like my water broke and so there's this picture <laughs> of the two husbands picking me up <laughs> carrying me to like the, to the ambulance and so and it was the front page cover of the student newspaper that week <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious it was called no se paga we won't pay <laughs> Oh my goodness. So you you have had an illustrious acting career is what we were we were finding out from this. Yep. <laughs> it was fun. And then I went into politics and policy. <laughs> that is fantastic. Well, so we're running low on time. Um, time flies when you're having fun. But we yeah. have just two questions we want to ask that we always use as kind of our wrap-up questions. Uh, a little different for you, since uh, you're our first student on the show. Um, but mm-hmm. we, we just want to ask, what brought you to the McCourt School for graduate school? You know, funny you ask. I almost didn't apply to McCourt. <laughs> but my mom's like, absolutely not, Layla. Like, you want to be in D.C., you apply to Georgetown. Um, and then when I got in, I um, and I went to the admitted students' day, I just fell in love with the sense of community and collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, It was something I was really looking for in my graduate career, and it's something I didn't get in my undergraduate career. So I knew that's what I was really wanted. I wanted a sense of community, not, you know, so much a sense of just like individualism and like, you know, only looking out for myself, which is kind of what I felt happened in undergrad. Um, And as soon as I arrived to that admitted students day, I just fell in love and knew like McCourt is the place for me. I almost went to London for grad school. Um... 
I was set on going to Europe for grad school, um, but I fell in love with Georgetown and decided to do the two-year program instead of the one-year program. And I am reminded every day that I made the right choice and I picked the right program, not just Georgetown, but McCourt specifically. I think about that a lot, actually. Just, I mean, as a staff member, I'm not a student, but um, I do think there is a huge sense of community at the McCourt School. And I just, I love how the staff and the students and the faculty interact. And I don't know, it's just like such a positive environment. So I kind of love that you said that because I think that way about the school, too. Um, Now, I know you spent some time on campus. What do you, what was your favorite memory of being on the campus? Honestly, I miss Old North the most. Um, The student lounge in Old North, which is where McCourt is housed. Um, That's what I miss absolutely the most. It's just like where you meet everyone, where all your friends come together, where you study together, you need help on something. There's somebody there that knows the answer that will help you on your homework or give you an idea or a suggestion on how to get into the class you want. Like I got so many tips um, in the student lounge on how to like be successful at McCourt. And it wasn't just, you know, through the events. It was just, you know, through talking with the students, that social aspect, that social atmosphere. Um, I think that was probably my favorite for sure. Well, Layla, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and a huge congratulations on graduation. By the time this comes out, you will have graduated, um, but just a huge achievement. Um, So congratulations to you. Congratulations to the rest of our graduating class for this year. Um, But it's been really fun having you on the show today. Great. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again for listening. I'm Lucy. And I'm Andy. And this has been McCourtcast.